All right. Well, this is a little bit different for me this morning. Over the past several weeks, you know that every time I've come up here, I've had my sunglasses on, right? And so I don't have them on now, and it's really kind of bright in my face, right? But uh, all right, guys, we'll see you all later. Four years old through fourth grade, heading off to kids' church, have fun there. And um, hey, I want you to uh, just kind of want to stretch your imaginations a little bit. It might be kind of hard even to imagine such a thing. But uh, if you reach kind of way into the past, maybe you can, you can sort of imagine uh, something like this. But imagine, imagine, if you would, an evil dictator. If you can think of an evil dictator uh, that wants to uh, suppress the, uh, the rights of a people group. Uh, if you can imagine uh, an evil dictator maybe even wanting to... Uh, uh, sort of go in and take over and uh, manipulate a uh, situation and circumstance in which uh, their rules uh, uh, override or supersede uh, the rules of the people that are living there. Uh, I want you to imagine, if you will, that the people that are living there uh, are under the thumb of a suppressive government and, uh, and they would really rather not be in that situation, but uh, all things considered, that's the situation that they find themselves in. And so I don't know if you can imagine anything like that ever happening, but if you can kind of just stretch your mind a little bit and think of maybe there's something like that that could happen. Uh, and then let's pretend, let's pretend that they made a movie. They made a movie about such an event uh, that would take place and happen. Uh, what might the introduction of that movie uh, look like? Maybe what would the director of that movie uh, maybe even say about something uh, like that? And so, so that you don't have to, um, you know, reach into the far reaches of your imagination any further, I would like to show you what a director of that movie might perhaps say. Go ahead and roll. Inspired story created 3,000 years ago 
five books of poetry. This only takes three hours and 39 minutes to unfold. There will be an intermission. Thank you for your attention. It's three hours and no. Um, do any of you recognize that? Do any of you recognize that? Uh, next picture here. This is uh, Cecil B. DeMille, and uh, he was uh, considered to be, or is considered to be, uh, one of, if not the greatest filmmaker uh, in all of the history of Hollywood. In fact, some people would say that Cecil B. DeMille built Hollywood. And uh, the uh, uh, one of the one of the many many movies that he made was the Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston, and um, uh, he, uh, uh, by today's standard, that movie uh, made 1.8 billion dollars when it was uh, released back in 1956. And in 1956, um, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's he uh, at the beginning of the three hour and thirty some odd minute uh, movie, he came out and uh, he uh, on the film made that introduction. And what's interesting about that is that he himself uh, is saying that this movie is about, uh, is man to be ruled by God or is man to be ruled by the state? And then uh, what sort of unfolds in the movie of the Ten Commandments is that we learn that God is the one that gives the Ten Commandments to the people and God is the one that gives them to the rules to live by. And now think about that just for a minute. Hollywood makes a movie in which it's communicating God is the one that gives mankind the rules to live by in order to be a people that does not live under the rule of the state. If you were here a few weeks back when we were going through the Reconcile series and we were talking about how to take things of the world and rewrite them and redo them and rework them in order to reconcile them, in order to look like the things of God, one of the categories that we talked about was the arts. Reconciling the arts unto the things of God. And at the end of that, we showed a, a Carrie Underwood uh, video of her singing a, a beautiful song. It was very moving. And so uh, the movie The Ten Commandments is another example of uh, using the arts to advance what God would want us uh, to know, just kind of as a side note. Uh, but in all of this, I thought in light of the time that we are in right now with the Ukraine situation, in light of the uh, the fact that... Uh, uh, Egypt was under, and the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, were under the thumb of a, of a dictator, uh, but freedom comes from God. I thought it would be appropriate for this, uh, us this morning uh, to just revisit and look at again the law uh, uh, summed up, if you will, in Ten Commandments when Jesus, as you know, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It's to love God and to love others. We know that. But in the Old Testament law, the things that sort of spell out, then how are you going to conduct your life? If you are living as a free person under the law of God, we're going to go back and we're going to review the Ten Commandments. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, I want us to pray, and we're going to jump in here. We're going to go through all ten, and then we get to eat lunch, right? So let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would bless our time together. We ask that you would teach us again and help us to put these things in our heart. Uh, Father, as we make our way through these, some of them are going to sting a little bit uh, because we know that uh, we're not adhering our life to that one. And others, we're going to be able to just kind of say, yep, got it. But Father, what we ask again this morning is that you would help us, that you would teach us, 
that you would work in our heart, you'd work in our spirit, that we would truly become the people that you want us to be. We ask it again in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 2 through 17, we find the Ten Commandments that are there. And uh, just kind of be a spelling them out. And number one is this. You shall have no other gods before me. <clears throat> you shall have no other gods before me. God is, listen to this. It's going to be right here on the screen. God is the giver. He is the owner. He is the sustainer. God is the giver. He is the owner. He is the sustainer of all things. We have nothing outside of God. Everything that we know exists within the context of God made it. And uh, so we are ultimately all like children who have been given a home. Think about it. Now think about uh, you have a child or you have a grandchild that's all of, you know, two, three, four years old. Maybe they're in first grade, you know, maybe they're a kindergarten something like that and and you give them the house and you say okay uh, you're going to live here from now on and you know we're going to go and live over here from now on and they are there existing in that house that you have given to them well here's what we know about that child that child has done absolutely nothing absolutely nothing in order uh, to get that house. They have contributed nothing. They just end up with it and in it, and there was nothing in their power uh, to end up uh, in that place. They're just there. That's us on planet Earth. We didn't do anything to get here, except we are here. We are here. Now, here's what we also know, is that um, everything is going to be received for, or they are going to receive everything. There's nothing they could do to get there, and there's nothing uh, that they can do uh, to contribute. There's nothing that they can do uh, to, uh, to gain for themselves. Let me just say it this way. Um, <clears throat> it's like giving a house uh, to a child. They contribute nothing, and they receive everything. They contribute nothing, and they receive everything. That's us on planet Earth. You should have no other gods before you. We have been given everything, and uh, God owns everything. So, what's that mean? Um, are there things that we can give to God? Well, ultimately, no, but are there things that God wants from us? Are there things that God wants from us? Um, the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 11, uh, Jesus was the one that says, Come to me, come to me, all of you are weary and burdened, I will give you Come to me. He wants us to go to him. And so, is there anything that we can give to God? Well, the answer is yes. God desires from us our attention, our devotion, our allegiance. He wants from us our love, our appreciation, and he wants our praise. He wants these things from us. And when we live by our own rules, we are rejecting God. When we say, I'm going to do whatever I want, picture the toddler in the house doing whatever they want, destroying it, or wrecking it, or being disrespectful to it, and they're doing whatever they want in that place, they're being disrespectful to the owner of everything. And so when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, God wants us to acknowledge he's given it all to us. We've done nothing to earn it. We can really do nothing uh, to, to give anything back to God, except God does desire that we would extend to him our devotion and our praise. That's what it means that you shall have no other God before me. The second commandment is very similar. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Question, what is an idol? Uh, most of us don't have little idols that we pray to. Anybody ever see the movie Gladiator? It's been a long, it came out a long, long time ago. Gladiator, movie Gladiator. 
Y'all, okay, some of you, all right. Me and you, Ryan. Boom. All right. The rest of you, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. And in the star of the thing, he's kind of running around, and his wife has passed away. Spoiler alert. And um, uh, but uh, he's walking around, and he's kind of got this. He's kind of got this little idol that he kind of carries with him, and it's always with him. And then there's times at night when he will sort of un, uh, unwrap that and kind of set it up there and kind of pray and feel like he's talking to her because he's got this little idol. And uh, and there's idols. There's always been idols. Maybe you remember that um, uh, the twelve. Uh, <clears throat> remember um, the nation of Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and then God said sends the, the plagues, right? Sends the plagues in there and he's kind of trying to convince uh, Pharaoh that uh, uh, I'm more powerful than, uh, than you are and a plague after plague after plague and maybe you know that each one of those plagues that was sent uh, was symbolic of an idol uh, that the, uh, the Egyptians would pray to and so uh, one by one uh, God is just kind of plinking all of those little idols off of the mantle that they have there and, and he's removing all of them and we, we, you know, when we think about idolatry, maybe you think about um, you ever you ever been to a you know a Japanese or a Chinese restaurant? And you go in there and they uh, they have the little Buddha sitting there, and they also got the little what? What's doing this? The cat, the little gold cat that's kind of doing this deal. Idols, idols, and idols. There's idols all around us. But God says you shall you shall make no uh, idol for yourself. Don't don't do that. And so what's that mean? Well, what is the definition of an idol? Here's the definition of an idol. Whatever we look to, over and above God. To find fulfillment is an idol. Whatever we look to over and above God to find fulfillment, kind of that peace, that calm, ah, life is good because of X, right? Whatever that thing uh, might be, that thing is an idol. So uh, what do we look to? We look to our peers. You know, our peers can make us feel good. Money can make us feel good. Status can make us feel good. Our appearance, for some of you, <laughs> for some of you, your appearance is, you know, that you just, you know, when you walk into the room, everybody's looking at you. And then there's, there's other people, you know, it's kind of like, right? And your appearance, right? Your appearance is there. And, and so you kind of think about those things and, and um, your peers' money and status, your appearance and, and the toys that you have and your job approval. And you look to these things and those you look to for a sense of fulfillment. But fulfillment comes from obedience to God. God tells us that he loves us and that is to be enough you shall make for yourself no idols you can't turn to those other things outside of god the problem is is that we try to bypass god and look to others um, for status we look to others to make us feel good we look to others to give us approval and not god and god says don't do that. And we try to bypass God and we look to other things that will stimulate us and, and people we know, um, probably you know somebody's been affected by being addicted to drugs. You look to alcohol, uh, you, you look to food, you look to porn, you look for social media hits and um, whatever feels good. And God wants us to look to him. And he tells us how to find fulfillment in him in scripture. So, number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall make for yourself no images, no idols. Don't look to those other things outside of him to find fulfillment. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. There's a couple of ways that we do this. Um, To misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, One application is this. Um, 
uh, 9-11, right? 9-11 when they uh, flew the planes into the Twin Towers, right? Flew the uh, planes into the Twin Towers. Uh, what was going on with that? Well, what was going on with that was that there was a guy, what was his name? Osama bin Laden, right? And he used the name of the Lord God in order to convince some other people that really it would be God-honoring and that you would receive great rewards from God if you get in the airplane and you fly it into the buildings, right? You fly it into uh, Washington or you crash it out in Pennsylvania, whatever the case might be, right? And so he was misusing the name of God, saying God wants you to do this evil thing, when in fact God does not want you to do that evil thing. He was misusing the name of God in order to do that. Another way that we misuse the name of God is in the language that we speak. And um, um, words matter to God. The words that we speak matter to God. What's interesting is that when we misuse the, the, the name of, the, of God... Um, you know, you uh, you smash your your nail on something, and you, and you smash your thumb uh, with the hammer. And you know what everybody says when they when they smash their their thumb with it. You know, they scream out Buddha, right? And and you know, some other time they're working and they cut themselves and it slips out. You know, and so they yell out Muhammad. You know, or they say Harry Krishna, um, because no one ever uses Jesus Christ as a cuss word, right? There's no other religious figure that is a cuss word except God and Jesus Christ. And oh my God is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's, it's saying, it's saying uh, you know, this thing that has happened is, and you're trying to invoke the name of God and put it in that place. And in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about how the, the angels are in heaven and they just continually are crying out, holy, holy, holy is God. Holy, holy, holy is, he's, he's holy, he's holy, he's holy. He's not OMG, right? And, and oh my God, it's just, and um, God, it, right? And, and, though, and that sort of gets welled up there. And we are not to take lightly the name of God. The Hebrews wouldn't even say God, right? That's Yahweh. That's those capital letters that are referencing who God is without saying the name of God in any way. He was holy. He was set apart. And so we don't misuse God by trying to manipulate people into doing something. Have you ever heard people say, uh, (coughs) in fact, uh, I've heard people tell me stories of uh, they've been approached and say, well, God's told me to do X, Y, or Z. God told me to do this. And so I need to do this because God told me to. And, and, and they're misusing the name of God. It also has to do with our language. Here's what James chapter, James chapter 3, verse 9 through 12 says. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says. But now you must rid yourself of filthy language from your lips. So what all that means is, is that cussing is a reflection of one's view of God. It is putting your preferences over and above the commandments of God. And so when you say cuss words, it is an indicator of where your heart is. And so God wants us to move from this place where we say, God, you are holy, 
And I'm not going to pray to anyone or anything else or look to anyone or anything else except you to find fulfillment. And now I'm going to begin to work and crank away in my mind that I begin to rearrange my thoughts and put them in order that I show you that I acknowledge that you are the one who has given us life. I am not under the rule of the state. I am under your authority. And so I begin to have self-control and I begin to work my mind. Which takes us to the next commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And today's standard or today's um, in the New Testament church, what that really means is go to church. It means go to church. Be involved actively with a body of believers. And that's harder. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. It's harder today maybe than ever before because uh, your kids want to be involved in activities. They want to be involved with sports or dance. And my kids are, my girls are in, uh, one of my girls was uh, in dance. And my other uh, daughter, she played a lot of volleyball. And, and so there were times during the year when um, she would go dance at the state fair. And that was always on Sunday morning. And it's kind of like, ah, oh, here we go again, right? And, um, and so my wife would kind of run, take her off there and you know I had to I had to work that Sunday and um, you know it's what I do I work on Sundays and um, and uh, so you know and we there were other times when our daughter would play volleyball and um, th- she would be in these tournament things and they would be on Sunday and there were times that we would literally make a choice uh, we're going to be late we're just going to be late because we're going to teach them that we're going to prioritize church over that thing and um, uh, in the situation that uh, if we were ever in a place where we had to be uh, gone for multiple weeks in a row uh, and we didn't find ourselves in that situation. But if I know that uh, parenting today, it, it, there's a lot more of it today than there's ever been. Uh, I would challenge parents today uh, to look at their kids and just kind of say, okay, uh, you got eight weeks and you're, you know, this means we're going to be out of church for eight weeks in a row. Which two of those Sundays are you not going to go to volleyball or basketball or, you know, wrestling camp or basketball camp or whatever the case may be? You're not going to go to that things, but we're going to communicate to your coach and your, your classmates or your, your teammates. Um, that week we're going to church. You know, and you would think that we should be in a place where we'd say, well, no, which two Sundays in that whole thing am I going to go and do the volleyball thing and miss church? But, it's hard today because the pressure is there. The pressure is there. The pressure is... And the culture, the culture, the culture, the evil dictator of the state and the culture is kind of like this big suppressive thing that just keeps wanting to push on us and back us into a corner where we submit to it instead of everybody submitting to God. It's tough. It's hard. And so we kind of have to ask ourselves... Do I really have any other gods in front of God? Do I really have any other idols? We, it's, it's hard. We've got to push through those things. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habits of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us what they did when they got there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That would be New Testament learning and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They had communion with one another and to prayer. They prayed together. And so why go to church? Why, go, why be a part of church? I want you to come next week and bring a friend next week. Next week we're going to do something a little bit different, a little bit more interactive. And so if you're an introvert, get over it and come next week. Uh, if you're an extrovert, this is going to be your thing because we're going we're to talk amongst ourselves a little bit and, and uh, kind of do some interactive things. And so I, w- I want you to think about that. But... Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then honor your father 
and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You've heard that before. Deuteronomy. We have visited this text for um, a couple of times in the last couple of months. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Mom and dad, your job. It says, Talk about them, and when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, do these things. And so there's something that is implied here. What is implied here is that parents are going to know the scriptures, and they're going to be able to teach them to the kids, right? And um, parents have the obligation of setting a, a, a godly foundation in their home, that they would give that to their kids and that their kids would learn that from the parents. And the children have the obligation, the biblical responsibility to honor their mother and their father. And that's what they are supposed to do. They're supposed to, I, I was teaching in kids club <clears throat> this week and um, I said, do you know what honor means? Do you know what honor means? And um, I showed them um, this video, and it was uh, of all these kids, and uh, it was amazing kids. And there were these kids that, um, you know, and they were all elementary age, but they, and, and some of them were toddlers. Some of them were toddlers that could ride a skateboard on a, on a, a skate ramp. Um, and there were um, kids that were probably uh, eight years old uh, that could do these, you know, like multiple backflips. And uh, there were uh, there were kids that were probably, I don't know, I'm going to guess five years old that could water ski. And there were these amazing kids that could do these amazing things. And I said, uh, do you know that feeling that you have when you look at those kids and you see them do those incredible, incredible, amazing things? And you look at that and you go, ah, ah. Wow, wow, wow. That's literally what the Hebrew for the Hebrew word for honor is. Wow. Wow. And so when it says honor your mom and dad, you're to look at them and you literally be like, Wow, thank you. Thank you for the way that you have provided for me. Thank you for the way that you've looked after me. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Also supposed to honor your spouse that way too. So get ready for that, right? Um, but uh, that's what it means to honor, to honor your mom and your dad. That's the way we're to look at that. Okay, listen. Next one. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And so this one kind of gets inserted in here, right? You shall not commit adultery. What's that have to do? Well, this is God teaching, this is God's teaching that a priority is to be the nuclear family. The priority is to be the family, the family. God says the family is so vitally important that he has to put this thing in here. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, we've talked about this. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. There is an order there. There's a sequence there. First, you grow up, you move out of mom and dad's house, and you take care of your own business. Once you're in that place, then you find a spouse, and the spouse is to be of the opposite sex. And then you procreate and you start a family. And that is God's design for the way that his word gets passed from generation to generation to generation so that the state can't come in and control, but that we would know that we are free people and that God has a right way for us to live and he is protecting the nuclear family and he says don't commit adultery. That means uh, what it's ultimately saying is that the, uh, the relationship of procreation is to be in the context of a man and a wife married to one another. And let me tell you something, that is 
going to be harder and harder and harder and harder to teach the next generation because we have an enemy that is working against us, uh, radically, diligently working against us. You know what a DEI officer is? Anybody DEI officer? More and more companies are hiring. It is a good gig if you can get it right now. They're going way to the top and they're getting paid a whole lot of money to be the DEI. You know what the CEO is, right? You know what the CFO is, right? What's the DEI officer? A DEI officer in mega companies is uh, they are in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, Netflix... Um, they're paying their DEI officer big, big money right now. Did you know, uh, you know, you're familiar with these things, CBS, NBC, ABC, right? Uh, you're familiar with the NBC. Um, and those are uh, television uh, companies, right? And you know that they produce their own content, right? And so um, if you want to watch, uh, it used to be, it's not on there anymore, I guess. And it's Big Bang Theory used to turn to channel what? Six, okay, and that was made by... ABC, right? Okay, ABC, right? And so, um, and so there's all of these uh, production outlets, and they, and they make this stuff, right? And so Netflix, maybe you know that Netflix and Hulu and uh, Prime Video and Amazon Video uh, that's, uh, and Disney, that they are now um, making their own content. You realize this, right? They're making now their, their own content. The, if you want to watch um, uh, Ozark or if you want to watch uh, uh, Stranger Things, the only place you're going to find that's on Netflix, right? And so you've got to go to buy Netflix go to Netflix. They make their own thing. Well, uh, now you hire a DEI officer, a diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion officer, and then they monitor all of the everything, all of the new content that's being produced. They monitor that, and they want to make sure that it has plenty of diversity and equity and inclusion, which ultimately means this. And uh, the majority of new content that Netflix, Netflix produces it is going to have a gay or a lesbian couple somewhere in the top tiers of characters that are going to be in everything that is produced Netflix because it's diverse, it's equitable, and it's inclusive. Now, um, we know in the church that that's not a part of God's plan. It's just not. You, you cannot have... Um, uh, same-sex couples, they don't reproduce, okay? And God's plan is the nuclear family, and it'll be passed from generation to generation to generation. Now, but kids today, they're just watching whatever they watch. They're, they're not going to grow up in a world anymore where that's ever going to phase them, that that's outside of God's will, unless mom and dad are pulling them aside and teaching them. Um, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences, you know, the Academy Awards are coming up here in a couple weeks. And, and um, the Academy of Motion Pictures and uh, Sciences, they just rewrote the rules. I don't know if you know this. Um, and so if you guys, if you're hobby movie makers and you were hoping that the movie that you're making uh, is going to be nominated for a Best Picture in the Academy Awards this year, anybody? Anybody out there? Huh? Nobody? All right, this is not my audience. Okay. Um, but, uh, and so did you know that the Academy Awards, they, they made new rules, um, and so uh, they have a DEI officer, and um, that uh, you cannot nominate a movie anymore for the category of best picture unless it 
reaches the new benchmarks of diversity, equity, inclusion, and inclusion that they have set into place. Okay? And so that means that the characters that they are trying to advance are going to have to be sort of mainstream and upfront. And uh, listen, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not bashing anybody. I'm not saying anything except this. It's going to be harder for the up-and-coming generations to teach biblical truth than it was for some of us that grew up watching Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch. Uh, Because you look at those and uh, the contents that's inside of those, it just, it's so rated G, right? It's just so rated G. But the things that our kids are going to be and grandkids are going to be exposed to, it's just so, so different. You shall not murder. Oh, boy. Now, Steve, we just talked about all that DEI stuff, and now you're telling us we can't murder them? Yes, you cannot murder them. And so uh, three things about, uh, three things about uh, this. One is notice it doesn't say uh, you cannot kill. You cannot kill. And so when the mosquito lands on you and it's about ready to sting you, whack it, right? You can kill it, okay? Anybody have bacon uh, this morning? You know what? Something had to die in order for you to have bacon this morning, right? And that's okay that that thing got killed, right? And uh, Tyson's out here and they, they do that a whole lot every single day. It doesn't say you cannot kill. It says don't murder. You cannot murder. Well, what is murder? Murder is this. The illegal or immoral taking of a life. The illegal or immoral taking of a life. And so you can't illegally or immorally take a life. Well, that's what it means. It says you shall not murder. But there's something else that sometimes we kill who God wants us to be by indulging in things that are not of God. And so we kind of do the demons a favor by choking out God before God really gets a chance to do a work in us. And so we don't want to be a people that run from God. We want to be a people that run to God. We want to go to him. So don't, don't let that part of you die. Embrace, breathe life in. Put God's word in you. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Well, there goes my afternoon. Uh, You shall not steal. You shall not steal. That means take other people's stuff. But also, same thing. Don't steal from yourself by not being who God wants you to be. When we do that, we steal from the people around us. If I am not being the most godly man I can be for my children then I am being less than God wants me to be. I'm being less of the character that God wants me to expose to my kids, and I'm hurting my kids. When I am being less of the man that God wants me to be to my wife, then I am exposing less of God to my wife. And the best uh, husband that my wife could possibly have is the most godly man I can be. 
And we've all seen people that have wrestled with addictive behaviors. You know, they, uh, they've ruined their life with drugs or they've ruined their life with alcohol and it just spins and there's all kinds of people that are on the peripheral and they're hurt by that. And so we, we kind of steal joy and steal life from other people when we don't act like and be the kind of people that God wants us to be. And these are the rules that God gives us that we would be the people that he would have us to be, a free people under God. Shall not lie, lying, it erodes trusts. Be honest, be honest to others. Don't lie to yourself, get right with God. If you know these things are true, then act on them and rearrange your life. And you shall not covet, you shall not covet. Want what other people have. Here's kind of the uh, litmus test for this deal. <clears throat> and I have to ask yourself this question. Fill in the X. What is the X? If I did not have X, I would not feel content in my life. I would not feel fulfillment in my life. If I did not have X. So think about those, uh, those things that you endure, or just, uh, that you enjoy, that you um, would not want to endure without. Um, and so think about this. Um, shut out what the world is telling you you need. Ask yourself, can I be content and happy without this thing? Do I depend on or look to X, that thing, to complete me? What thing, if it was removed from you, you would feel less than in life? Well, maybe you're coveting that thing. Maybe you're coveting that thing. We know that that thing never works because of the law of diminishing returns, and we see that you know every year on Christmas time, right? Uh, when the uh, the kids are there, and uh, on Christmas Day they wake up early and they're so excited, and there's all those toys, and they they're excited to play with all of those things. Uh, but then uh, in and a part of that day, um, you know, Grandma and Grandpa they find out that they got some cash, right? And so um, the day after they played with all of these toys on Christmas Day, the day after, uh, they're wanting to know, can you take me to the store because I have this money and I want to go get something else, right? It's the law of diminishing returns. You get that thing and it's new and it's exciting for a while, but that fades and then you need the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. The only thing that does not fade, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So God gives us these truths, these laws, that we would govern ourselves not under the state, but under God. And he says, this is how I want you to live. So somewhere in there, uh, there's probably a lot of stuff in there that we know, and we're challenged by some of those things, and there's somewhere in there that God is saying, yep, I got to work on this area, so do that. Here's the last thing. None of that matters. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's first. If you've never been baptized into Christ, if you've never accepted him as King and Lord, that's a conversation that I'd like to have with you. If you know who he is, live for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to live for you. We ask it again in Jesus' name. Amen.